Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Mike. Hey, Chuck's Bob. Not here. How are you? How are you? Oh, madness. It's madness. Mon- oh. What are we in? Month seven of, of quarantine? It's yeah. madness. Yeah, it is. So I bought an old Winnebago. The reason why you haven't seen me, I bought an old Winnebago and I'm restoring it myself with a fix-it guy from the RV. From I want to promote them. They're called, shoot. Oh, man, I'm so discon- disorganized. I wanted to promote this RV place because I, I got RV stories for everyone. Right on. It's just ridiculous. So mm-hmm. I decided that you that this might last till next summer and there's no disneyland there's no things for kids to do they can't play with their friends they can't do anything so i figured i read or i saw something where people like winnebago's and rvs are going out you know people are buying them like hotcakes because in fact you can travel as a family in a pod and go to the grand canyon or go to joshua tree and you and so it's one thing you can do with your kids that that instead of sit around the house with everybody on their phones, hoping that there's a vaccine soon. Right. Yeah. It's perfect. So, Well, it's not perfect. Cause I'm oh. going to tell you all about what I've learned in the last <laughs> two weeks, three weeks in the our recreational vehicle world. Right on. So I don't have that much money. I know people think I have money. I don't really, I, I mean, I live comfortably, but I can't go out and buy a newer, you know, a relatively new RV. So I started going on Craigslist late at night, just when I was laying in bed, just looking at recreational vehicles, whatever. And they're all ridiculously priced, even for old ones. They're like $14,000 and $26,000. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like for 20 year old ones. And the new ones are like a hundred thousand dollars. Right. It's crazy RVs. Right. We're going to have a whole 15 minutes in RVs. Cause it's been my life the last three, month and a half, but I bought one like two weeks ago. So, so then I start calling, I start zeroing in. Like as soon as one appears, if it says it's been on the market for three hours, I call them. Right. About a month ago, I call about this one RV that was like uh, $10,995. And the guy says, which RV are you calling about? And, you know, it's like a regular Craigslist thing, like you're selling an old couch, right? Yeah. So I go, what are you talking about? Do you have more than one RV that you're selling? And he goes, yeah. Oh, I, I, um, I flip RVs. That's what he said. I flip RVs. (laughs) kind of life is this guy got i don't know man. so he, making some he money. so he buys them when he sees them like with for sale signs in parking lots or or when they he he searches the internet for when they come online really fascinating if somebody's dumb and they don't know the value of it um or they're just realistic about the value of it you know or it's got a, or it's got fair. a small engine problem he just fixes he, it yeah. yeah it's got yeah like a radiator problem right, or right, it doesn't right. start or something he goes and gets them and then he just fixes them for like 500 bucks and then sells them for $5000 more than he bought them for yeah so yeah. I, I talking to that guy informed me like what's going on on Craigslist on the RV thing 
That's why all the RVs are $14,000 because somebody, they bought it from somebody for six and they just washed it and fixed the radiator and sell it for 14. There's a whole underbelly of fucking RV hustle on Craigslist. It's crazy. (laughs) I just love these worlds that they're everywhere. That's great. you know, there's the rehab hustle, there's the rock and roll hustle, there's the now that there's the SEO and internet optimization hustle. And now I discovered there's a fucking used RV hustle. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm restoring so, I'm restoring a vintage English bike for my daughter, and I found out there's a bike hustle too. There's a bike hustle. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So this thing comes on the market. And I called the guy who'd been on like for 20 minutes and I saw it. And it's like 58, it was a weird number, $5,800. And I was like, I call him and he, I go, I go, hello. And I'm talking to the guy and he was so nice and he was so cool. I go, he, I said, you're, he said, I'm scheduling it to be viewed on Tuesday. And I was like, I won't have a chance if you have a waiting list of 12. And, and let me tell you about the RV world and Craigslist. So I told him those 10 of those 12 people coming to look at your RV are just going to flip it for more money. <laughs> and he goes, really? And I told him all that I'd learned. And he was like, that's fucked up. And I go, listen, I have $5,800 in $100 bills. If you will meet me at the RV, <laughs> I will give it to you. And, and he goes, I like you. And he met me and it was cool. Me and Chrissy went down, we looked at it and it's a little rough around the edges. It's like, it's like weather's weather beaten. Cause it's like 20 years old, yeah. but it's so cool on the inside. It's like a 94, but it looks like a 74. It's all like, you know, like what you would think like a seventies RV looks like. And it's a so Winnebago. It's a Ford. I, I forget the name of it. Ford made a Winnebago. Winnebago is just like a van with a camper on it. That's where it comes from. Right. Um, so so it's like a Ford camper thing. It's 22 feet long. It has two double beds. It has a kitchen and a bathroom with a shower. It's unbelievable. Is it like so o- over Chrissy, the cab? Is it over the cab type of yeah, thing? Yeah, over the cab. Yeah. There's a double bed. Yeah. And then there's a double bed in the back. Mm-hmm. It's only 22 feet long. It's really like, it's a Ford O'Connell line band like Neil Young sang about. So, yeah, it's like the, it's, it's like those this, American Clippers. Yeah, remember those American Clippers? You know, there's there's made a million different ones. Right, right. And right, um, gotcha. and and so we've been working on it, not just on the weekends because it's coronavirus. Every day is a weekend. Right. I was yesterday. <laughs> I worked on it for eight fucking hours, and everybody at work is like texting me like about work stuff, and I'm like, listen, you don't understand. I'm fucking fixing an RV over here. <laughs> <laughs> I put a new sink in yesterday. I got the lighting, you know, because a lot of this stuff is not functional, right? Yeah. And and I so so get this. So I'm I get this auto mechanic near my house that works cars. This good guy that I trust. It was right like four blocks from my house, and he fixed the air conditioning. He converted it from the V12 or whatever illegal George, you know, uh, Al Gore made it illegal Freon for the ozone layer. He converted it to the new one, right? Yeah. 300 bucks. Guess what the guy told me that an in, that a, 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 a fix-it shop had told him it cost to do? $1,100. Oh, my God. Like I was, you know, it, it, everybody lies. That's the whole society. Don't just blame Trump. Everybody lies. Auto mechanics lie. For dealers, dealerships, 
fucking lie. We have accepted lying in this society. It's just unbelievable on every level. So yeah. the guy, it gets to a certain point with the stuff in the RV where the guy can't fix it. He goes, you should go to RV Giant in Montclair. And so I go down there and I, I drive the RV down there. At first, they're all looking at me like, you can't bring that piece of shit on our property. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? RV Giant. Like, don't be bringing that fucking shit on our property. Just the fucking so name I just, alone. I could sense it. When I was pulling up, they were looking at me like, get that fucking piece. I hope you think you're trading that shit in because we're not working on that. <laughs> wow, man. And so I go inside and I say, I need a new sink and, and faucet system. And they go, for, for that, for that what, what year is that that you're driving? And I said, 94 uh, Ford Econoline. And he goes, oh, we don't work on those. I said... <laughs> Okay, well, can you just sell me the parts? Supposedly you have all the parts here. It's like a new sales and service and a parts, right? And I said, can you, can you help me find the right sink that will fit in there? And the guy goes, he doesn't even get up from his chair. He goes, because, uh, you know, everybody knows what I look like. I look like a homeless bum. And he's seeing me. He thinks I'm a homeless meth head is what I figure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the meth heads that are living in RVs. And downtown. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's, what I, that's what the guy thought I was. That's funny. So I go, dude, just help me. Like, I don't know anything about it. I'm not. And I look at him and I look at the, in his eyes and see him seeing me as some meth head that lives in his Winnebago <laughs> and I said I'm not a bum <laughs> I'm not a bum don't look at me that way <laughs> oh, God. and then he said he said no um, you should go to this place <laughs> this is the greatest part of the whole day he goes, you should go to this place and he basically said, like, where the crackheads go. <laughs> really? And he's like, like, he's like, in like ghetto Pomona. <laughs> like, you can't come around Montclair, someone like you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And there's a whole subculture. It was, it was such a study in the human condition, the way he was perceiving me. I and mean, he was casting me away to where the other homeless Winnebago <laughs> drug addicts go to get the part. You were trying to explain. It's a restoration. It's a restoration. <laughs> I'm, just I'm just trying to go to Joshua Tree with my kids because of coronavirus. I'm not a. I'm not a homeless person. It's only 26 years old. <laughs> the way the guy looked at me with. Nothing, no empathy or compassion or pity, not even pity, just like hatred and you piece of shit. God damn, man. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. And he weighed like 300 pounds. I was like, oh my God, what is this world coming to? And I can't even get up out of a chair and he's judging me. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? So I said, well, you know. I said, well, I'll certainly not be buying a new RV from you guys. And the guy laughed, right? <laughs> like I couldn't afford to buy a new RV. Right. I'm not stupid enough to buy one for a hundred thousand dollars. That's like, you could buy a house in Joshua tree. for, And that. you no longer had the $5,000 wad to show him that you weren't a homeless broke <laughs> yeah, person. <I> <laughs> a hundred dollar bills. <laughs> so, 
So, so I go down to the place where he tells me to go. Turns out it's this greatest place. These people are so friendly and helpful. The guy that works in the parts department helped me find the right parts. He came out into my crackhead Winnebago and, and he got me all the parts and he said, and he showed me how to do it. He said, you know, you should be able to do it and get this, Mike, this is the wonderful world of, of, of us folks. You know, right, how right. Obama used to always say folks like sure. that guy that works at RV giant and Monrovia and Montclair. Right. He's, He's everything that's wrong with America. He lacks compassion, empathy, understanding. He doesn't, he's not courteous. He's not polite. Uh, All the things that our mamas told us, that guy now feels that he doesn't have to be because people are pieces of shit and these homeless people and these drug addicts and these fucking liberals and Black Lives Matter. That contempt that, let's just face it, that white older men have about the rest of us is and, disgusting. Yeah, and it's half and half. It's half of America. <laughs> so so I, I go down there. These guys are so great at the at the RV parts place in the bad part of town. It's not all fancy and whatever. Right. They're just so great. I can't tell you how helpful they were. And and they were so polite. The guy was on the phone. He said, I, I asked him a question. He said, listen, this phone call is going to take like five minutes. Why don't you look around and stuff and, and I'll be able to help you. So courteous, so helpful, so polite in the working class RV store, right? Amongst us. Yeah. And so and don't so, go to the RV giant, whatever you do. No, everybody. don't go to the RV giant. That though, guy unless, sucks. It, unless you're like a rich elitist white racist pig that <laughs> that guy is like that guy that works there. So, so... So the, so the guy shows me, literally shows me, shows me what to buy, what will fit in the sink, what will work. And you know me, Mike, I'm not a details guy. I didn't write it down. Oh, my. <laughs> so I started working on it uh, uh, myself. And right. I really didn't follow his directions nor the directions in the box, and it didn't go so well. So that when I turned the water pump on, the water shot out of everything. <laughs> <laughs> Literally like a movie. And then you know how you panic when something bad like that's happening? Yeah. And you don't realize, turn the water pump off. I started covering where the water's coming out with my hands <laughs> and spraying it all over the window. <laughs> then it dawned on me. Then it dawned on me. Like, the, you know, the sink is like, five feet away from the water pump button. And, and so then I realized I got to turn the water pump button on. I got both hands covering both faucets that are spewing water everywhere. <laughs> and, and I try to just keep my hands on that and push the water pump off. And I don't do it. I can't reach it. Then the water's just splashing more and more. And then finally I get pissed off and I just let it fly everywhere and run over and push the water pump off. <laughs> and Chrissy comes out. Chrissy and Sydney come out. And they look inside and they go, what happened? And he says, motherfuckers. So you were- I call the guy who was so nice to me. I call the guy that was so nice to me. And I admit, all, you know, like, I really don't know how to do this. I'm not a mechanically inclined person. Is there anybody that you know that I could pay to put this in? And he goes, oh, I'll do it. I'll oh, wow, man. Do it. Um, and he goes... I can't tonight, but I could be over. Uh, where do you live? And I said, Claremont. And he said, I could be over there like at eight in the morning. 
The guy came over yesterday, Mike. Oh my gosh. He was the nicest guy. He put it in, in like seven minutes and I go, how much? And he goes, 50 bucks. Oh, 50 bucks. RV Giant would have charged me $300. Oh, he wouldn't even have got out of his chair. Right? And I was just like, no, no, no. The guy saved my life and saved my Winnebago. I gave him 100 bucks. Yeah, right. It was so great. So now the, the sink and the water and the water pumps work. The generator works. I'm getting the windows, right? Because it, it had those... It had like these burnt, the burnt blinds that were all warped because the sun had warped them. Right, burnt. right. I cut them all out. I'm just going to get it. I got a, I got a thing for 400 bucks to tint all the windows. That's a great deal. So all total, this thing will be in perfect shape with air conditioning and generator and everything and toilets working and water working and, and all cleaned up and whatever. $6,920. That I got my budget. $6,920. Oh, that's and, good. So, and I'm so I'm telling anyone out there, if you think you can't do something, you can. It might be a little frustrating. You might look a little stupid. You might re- meet a big racist asshole. But eventually, not. What is it when you hate drug addicts? It's not even racism. What is it? Classism. What is he? Why was he judging me so badly? It's, a, it's like, elitism. Even, it's elitist. Elitist. He couldn't even get out of his chair. This huge mountain of a human being. <laughs> Couldn't even get out of his chair to be courteous and polite and helpful. Oh my now God. get this, Mike, and I've been I've been talking about this with Paul and some friends of mine and, and Chrissy. I looked the same and I was driving the same vehicle onto the property of the working class RV place. Right. And they were kind and helpful and they didn't see me as some homeless drug addict that sleeps in my van or whatever, like the guy at RV Giant. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm excited. I'm being proactive because I don't think, I don't think this coronavirus thing is going away <laughs> anytime soon. <laughs> the president of the United States has it. What I the know. fuck is going on? Well, not, I mean, I think you just have to find projects like you're doing. You have to you find know? things to do with your family. And, yeah. and Sydney loves it. Sydney uh, climbed up the back ladder and was on the roof of it before. And we turned around. We're like, where the fuck? And she's laughing, standing on the 16 feet up in the air on top of the Winnebago. So big question. Like, how you know does, those little how does tiny it... ladders? Yeah. Sydney, a four-year-old, climbed up it and was on the top of the Winnebago. Oh, yeah. Excellent. I mean, that was great. So how does it run? How does it run? Is it, is it the runs engine good? great. It's only got, here's the thing about, I want to tell everybody, I want to build a, a dopey nation and don't die nation RV club. <laughs> it nice. only has 13,000 miles on it. Cause really? even though it's 25 years old, yeah, people don't go. They go to like salt and sea or wherever they go to the beach. This guy went to the beach a lot. So he would go to, you know, he lives in, um, Oh, what the fuck is it? He lives in Chino Hills and he would go to the, the beach and we can, you know, parked on PCH with the doors going to the beach. That's all he did. Wow. Right. Man. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, um, no, most of the RVs I've been looking at for the last month and a half are like 58,000 miles, 37,000 miles that really, they look old, but they don't have a lot of miles on them because people don't drive RVs across the country. They just go to the beach now too. Is it a big V8? So Gas yeah, mileage is gonna gas mileage is gonna be an issue, but so what? Well, the, here's the good thing about this one. I just want to inspire people to get RVs. Yeah. I love them. I love no, it. I, I'm I go and I go and sit out in it in the yard. I just sit in there. It's like, oh, this is so cool. I don't know why it's so 
interesting. It's just this idea, this old Route 66 Americana Bob Dylan idea I have in my head. Like, you just get, get in the thing and go. We just need to like, get a generator and go out and record an acoustic album out in the desert or something, you know? In, yeah, yeah. Inside well, the it's RV. got a... This is a 90s generator. It's so fucking loud. You're, you, you, you're going to be measuring whether you want air conditioning or that loud noise. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, and when you go to the fancy ones, they have like cellular generators, like that don't make any noise and, and that work the air conditioner. That's why those hundred thousand dollar Winnebago, so the yeah. roofs of them are 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 um, you know, are are sun, you know, whatever it's called, solar yeah. panels. Yeah, and I think the thing to do is to is uh, maybe get a an outside generator and then put it, you know, 20, 30 feet yeah, away from get the, it way or way far away, maybe. Yeah, that'd be newer. So let me, um the state we haven't done a podcast in a while, and the and the state of what's going on with people's depression. I mean, you're having we're having people at Allo call they're really they're really not, I don't think they may be abusing alcohol. But they're more depressed. Like people yeah. are fucking depressed, man. Like never before. Like yeah, not no, even I... suicidal, just feeling hopeless. Hopeless is what I'm hearing about our politic, about about jobs and the future. And people are just depressed. And so I started looking it up. There are seven, it's right now, admissions and, and diagnoses of depression in America is 700 times more than it was in the fall of last year. Wow, man. That's insane. That's that's, that means like, you know, like one in five people or one in, one in three people are depressed, like really clinically, like can't, can't get out of bed depressed in America. And this feeds into me and Evan's book. I've also been working on Well, Evan's been working on it, and I got it right here. Evan has done such an excellent job. How is it um, almost uh, done? It's almost, well, I've been putting my things in, into it. So, so it's, it's pretty sophisticated. Like, I didn't think we were coming up with something this this is it's excellent yeah it's like evan excellent. had some great things to, to to say last time we saw it at the bicycle he just thing. he was just he worked so hard on this so the book is coming out i have the cover the cover is so cool i don't know if i gave you the cover um would you be able to get it out to the people oh yes of course let me see. okay so we'll evan, do that we finally just we decided formalized it last night here it is you're gonna love it mike it's a, it's exact kind of homage is what uh, Evan calls it. It's an homage to Hunter S. Thompson. You'll know it when you see it. Here, it's coming to you right now, Mike. Look at how cool the cover is. So it's called "America Is Addiction: A Radical Reimagining of the oh, Drug Problem." Oh, that's great, man! Isn't yeah, that a cool yeah, cover? Yeah, that is that is that is excellent, man. America is addiction. Yeah, I'll get that that's out. I'll put that on the. Thing. I'll put that on the. Um, uh, the the Instagram uh, yeah isn't it cool that isn't the cover yeah. cool yeah it so is now great. I'm gonna send you I'm gonna send you you probably maybe you remember maybe you don't here's the homage it is to Hunter S Thompson look at that fear and loathing there on the campaign oh, trail oh nice see that yep it's exactly yep. it's a it's a tribute to Hunter S Thompson people so wow. so working on the book 
Um, you know, everything else working on the Eddie RV. Van Halen died. That's kind of a drag. Eddie Edward, my boy. Because he was, got he used to give Bruce Moreland a ride when Bruce was in, was in Walla Voodoo. He used to give Bruce Moreland's ride. Bruce was friends with him and, you know, kind of went well, back. I was, friends, I was friends with him. I, I've yeah. known him pretty well. And, and the first thing that struck me about Eddie Van Halen. I met him in 2000. Well, I knew him from like the early 80s because of me and Anthony and Flea used to hang out with David Lee Roth and go to Van Halen shows. And Eddie hated David Lee Roth. So thus, by, by uh, you know, close proximity, he just hated us. And so right. you could just feel it. Like I remember one time, me and Flea and Anthony, this legendary road trip where we went to San Diego and saw Van Halen and hung out and did coke with David Lee Roth for two days. Um, that's the first time Anthony ever heard me sing. It's in Bob and the Monster. We were listening to KRS 101 and I was singing along and Anthony was driving and he was like, God, he can, he can sing better than me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Before I was a singer, this is in like 83. Wow. So, um, so I knew him from that era, like Eddie Van Halen just hated anything to do with the Zero One or David Lee Ross friends or John Polkna or me or Anthony or Flea. And you could just tell. And I would see him from time to time, whether it was Van Halen was rehearsing for a tour and we went and hung out with them at rehearsal and just Eddie Van Halen was like circling, like, like I want to kill these guys. <laughs> and so about 2005, he called me this just the weirdest thing. Well, Al, his brother called me and then he called me. Well, that's around the time he got me. sober. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why would you call Bob Flores? Right. <laughs> so, so he cut and I went, he told me, he, he goes, uh, yeah, so I, can, can you come over? I guess, you know, so we had mutual friends and yeah. I think he knew who I was. So I go, where are you? And he goes, I'm at home. And he goes, uh, let me let me give you the address. And I go, is it 5150 Coldwater Canyon? <laughs> like, everyone knows where you live, dude. Is that it's really where you live? Cover. That's the address of the house. Oh, you mean where he lived? Yeah. Well, the studio is on one side of his property, and then this big mansion was on the other side i thought it was it's in like reference a, to being you know 5150 no that was the joke is that they called it 5150 studios because that's the address of the house oh my god i didn't know that. yeah so so all i did i knew that from being a sammy hagar fan because that <laughs> album that the album 5150 is with sammy hagar's the singer so i go over there and he's just sitting there at his dining room table just all sad and drunk and and we had a nice conversation for like three hours. I told him how much I admired him. I told him first time I ever heard eruption. Like, can you remember the first time you ever heard eruption on the first Van Halen record? I saw him at the Cuckoo's Nest, if you can believe that. The Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, my God. And he did eruption. And then the <laughs> earliest times I saw him was, was like 78 or 77, I think, before they were signed. Long Beach. They had No, they had Wednesday nights at the Whiskey and in between like the oh, Weirdos really? and the and uh, the Go-Go's. I and saw him at Long Beach. I saw him at Starwood. Um, but... They were just a great band, whatever. Oh, he was yeah. this amazing virtuoso. So, so we talked and talked, and he had tried to be sober before. And and what he's an example of a lot of musicians, in particular, and celebrities in general, 
people treat them so phony in AA that they really don't get the real deal. If, if you're a celebrity, you have to fight for the real deal in the 12 step world. You really do. You have to, you have to, whoever's coming at you and f- trying to bullshit you and be your sponsor, you need to push them out of the way and walk past them and seek out sobriety. I, I would say that's what Anthony did. Um, that's what Elton John did. That's what Eric Clapton did. They're like not into the bullshit artists that yeah, just want to yeah, hang yeah. out with a famous person. But he had had really bad experiences with Bob Timmons and well, Exodus he, Rehab. And, you wow, know, just that yeah. phony sobriety world. Buddy Arnold and Musicians Assistance Program was trying to be the authentic thing of real sober musicians helping a, a new, you know, not sober musicians get sober and get all the celebrity ass kissing out of the way. It's really what MAP did best, right? Because Buddy didn't know who Eddie Van Halen was. I remember when I brought John Fashante to Buddy Arnold, he got, this is what he said to him. He's John, John's sitting on the couch in Buddy's office at the old map building on Vine. <laughs> and, and he goes, everybody says you're some fucking genius musician. And John's got, got his head down and he's all, you know, like how John was in that, those days. Mm. And he looked up at me. John looked at me like, what is this guy? What is he trying to say? And I, I go, well, Buddy, you know, we don't need to talk about that right now. Let's just get him into rehab. <laughs> and, Sure. And Buddy goes, no, 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 no. And he opened up his briefcase. His is sitting here in my office right now because when he died, he had part of his will said that Bob gets my briefcase. Pretty cherished thing I have. Mm-hmm. Literally the briefcase he reached into in 1998 when John got sober and he pulled out some sheet music and he walked around his desk and he threw it in front of John and goes, if you're such a musical fucking genius, can you read that? And John is one of the few rock musicians that can read music. (laughs) And he looked at it and he goes, what do you want to know? And Buddy looked at me and and he goes, do you know how to read music? And John said, yeah, I mean, I know how to read music. And Buddy pulled it away from him and said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. And he walked back behind his desk. He... The reason why Buddy Arnold went to the map for John Fashante is because he respected him as a musician. Because he had met every bullshit me, like saying I'm a musician. He he only respected real musicians, and John was one, and Eddie Van Halen was one. No right, doubt right. about it. Yeah. I saw him just playing piano one time at, backstage at a concert. I forget, like probably the forum, just playing piano. It was fucking amazing. It was like yeah. a classically trained piano player. Right, right. And it's so sad. Like, I didn't hit me like Joe Strummer's death or some other people that you hear about death, Kurt Cobain's death, but it really did just, like, he had such a sad life. It was a shock. Like, it was a sad life. And it, yeah, I, I, I thought I would have heard that he was sick again because he's had cancer off and on. He, he, and he talked about it a lot. Wow. Like, I beat cancer. And then I just fucking can't stop drinking. He was an interesting character and a genius and yeah, sad. Yeah, man. And you know what's sad? So many sad things about Van Halen. They never really achieved what they probably should have, like on a Metallica, Led Zeppelin level, because of all the breakups and the hatred and, and the different singers. And you know that they had three singers. Nobody remembers. They had the extreme guy was the singer for a while, too. I was oh, just wow. like, what the fuck? 
you got the extreme guy. Why don't you get Perry Farrell or Scott Weiland or somebody that can really sing like that's charismatic? Because the one thing that I think the Van Halens, both Eddie and Alex, hated about David is he is this showman. Like David Lee Roth, I've known him my whole adult life. When he walks in a room, he just... He, he, everybody just smiles. It's fucking David Lee Roth. <laughs> he's, he's got, you know yeah. what I mean? You've seen him a hundred times. It's just, he's got that energy <laughs> of like, he's David Lee Roth. Dude. I just watched, I just watched that, rewatched that video where he was just was, the gigolo stuff. Yeah. Where, where he was swinging the, the baton thing and he hit himself in the nose <laughs> and, and uh, he started bleeding. But he's the only person. And he just that kept smiling. He just yeah, kept, he kept smiling. smiling. I was going to say, he was the only person that could do something really stupid in front of millions of people and just make, make a joke out of exactly. it and, and make everybody cool with it. David Lee Roth is a very special pe person. And I've met a lot of special people. He is like, he did this thing one time because uh, people don't know, like David Lee Roth liked the dirtier, edgier part of Hollywood, let's say. So he hung out with, me and Flynn Anthony and Pokna at the zero one and top Jimmy. I mean, yep. he hung out with all the people that you, you've seen him a million times. Yep. He was always around. He was in our circle of friends. It was the craziest thing. And then people would come up to me and say, I want to meet David Lee Roth. And I'd be like, David, if somebody wants to meet you, and he'd turn around and go, who wants to meet me? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. He wasn't, he yeah. wasn't some guarded asshole like Michael Stipe or something. He was like, who wants to meet me? I want to meet him if they want to meet me. He's just, exactly. this, he's just this full of joy guy. And right. I think Eddie and Alex just resented that from probably the second album that he got all the attention. You know what I mean? So that leads to him being out after the fourth album, I think. Yeah. Then they get Sammy Hagar, which, you know, I love Sammy Hagar, but I don't think it ever fit right. One of the things I didn't like about Sammy Hagar in Van Halen is that he played guitar. Just fucking sing. We don't need you right. playing shitty guitar next to this, probably one of the five greatest guitar players in the world. Well, he definitely couldn't dance as well. <laughs> yeah, he could. The old Montrose, he didn't dance, but you just hold the microphone a certain way and move yeah, around. Yeah, David Lee bit. Roth was, was amazing, though. I mean, anybody that flies across the stage on a surfboard. I was the farm aid. I think I think I played farm aid or some side thing at farm aid. And Van Halen was the headliner, and so I stuck around and waited. And and Sammy Hagar, literally, just looking like the, just like. 90s rock star with the red pants with the duct tape around the pants with a microphone that's like a headset that you use when you're doing telemarketing right right with the microphone the Janet Jackson the Janet yeah, Jackson Janet Jackson but way worse than that more like a, a Kmart version of that oh, and and playing guitar and it's just like I you know I'd seen Ben Halen probably 20 25 times and this is the first time I saw him with Sammy Hagar. And I was like, this isn't Van Halen. This is Van Hagar. That's when I named it. Van Hagar. It's not yeah. Van Halen. But this is not Van Sammy Halen was a regular certain... regular guy, though. He was almost like a regular guy, you know? Yeah, a, but the way that he good. presented playing guitar and stuff, it just didn't look right for Van Halen. Van Halen's modeled after Led Zeppelin, obviously. You got a singer, you got a guitar player, you got a bass player, you got a drummer. That's it. 
four yeah. guys, everybody do their job. And, you know, to a certain extent, so are the chili peppers. So, so were, so is, was Montrose. That was like the model for hard rock bands for decades. Right. Right. right? Yep. It's the modern post punk rock bands that kind of have, you know, three guitar players and two guitar players and keyboards and you know what I mean? But the old days, it was like bass, guitar and drums and a singer. Right. Right. Yep. And that's what Van Halen was. And it was amazing. So anyways, yeah, Eddie got sober and, and, you know, found a nice gal and got married and settled down. And I, you know, the last I'd heard from him was like, I don't know, 2005 or something, 15. I mean, Right, like he, I bumped into him somewhere, and I was like, "You doing all right?" That's always um, my thing. Like, because because when you're a drug counselor, or you're a sober person, and it's somebody that you don't know whether they're sober or not, or whether things have gone well or not. If you just ask, "Are you all right?" They'll usually tell you, "Yeah, not really." I remember I told Kurt Cobain. I saw Kurt Cobain like in '91. We were talking about this show that that um, Chili Peppers were headlining. Their first big arena show was Sports Arena in downtown LA. And Pearl Jam was the opening band, and Nirvana was in the middle. But in the time between when it was booked and the actual day, December 27th, 1991, Nirvana had become the number one album in America. Wow. And they were still opening for the Chili Peppers. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And so I go walking down this hall and I open, I'm trying to find where all the bands are. In the old days, when you're playing the first times everybody played arenas, there was no real backstage. It was just like they'd give you room and they'd put something on a, on, you know, like on a, on a Xerox piece of paper, like band room, rehearsal room. And there was nothing on the windows, doors, because it was like Golden Boy's first big arena show, I think. And so, I I opened this one door and I look inside and it was just Kurt by himself in there and and he and I'll never forget I said are you all right because he looked like depressed or bummed out or angry or like he gotten in a fight with somebody or something yeah I said are you all right and he said uh, yeah no not really what and yeah. I was just like are you like, what's going on? And and he just shrugged, you know, shook my, his hand away. And I said, where is everybody? And he just pointed down the hallway, like, leave me alone. Yeah. Right. And right. so I always ask people that are like troubled people. I always ask them, are you okay? Right. Are you all right? Not, Hey, how you doing? Whatever. Just like, are you all right? Yeah. You would, you would a chance. You and I say, I'm saying it to people that there's a chance they might kill themselves. There's a chance they might die of a drug overdose. There's a chance they might get in a car accident and kill somebody or themselves. Like, you should ask those people if they're all right, if you haven't seen them in a while. Exactly. You know I mean? And then there's some people then, you don't have to ask, like, like David Lee Roth. You would never ask him if he was okay. He's always all right. He's, he's always, always okay. all right. I've seen it. I see. After after he got kicked out of Van Halen, he was all right. Yeah, I mean, I never seen anything like it. He, he was unfazed. Unfazed. He wasn't sad. I saw him the week after it happened. He wasn't sad. He he said, "Well, you know, you never know what's going to happen next, but uh, you know, I'm o I'm open to whatever happens." Like that's the, certain people have that 
quality about them. Yeah, I wonder how history. I wonder how history is going to portray David Lee Roth because I know Eddie Van Halen is going to be portrayed. You know, because he's legendary. He changed the way guitar is played. You know, he was instrumental. I asked him one time who his favorite guitar player was, and he didn't say the typical things you would think. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Jimmy Page. He didn't say that. He said one of my. All he said was he didn't say like I copy people or I'm I bow down to other people. He said one of my favorite guitar players growing up was Richie Blackmore. Oh, that's what he said. Yeah, exactly. And well, I mean that's strange though, wouldn't you think? Because Richie Blackmore uh, no, doesn't play like Richie that. Richie Blackmore had this tone and this style that nobody else ever had. Nobody else had. Nobody yeah, else. Yeah, but had. he's more like a riffer. He's not like a solower. Oh, I don't. Highway Star. I mean, that's an amazing solo. There's, yeah, yeah but, but when you think of when you think of Eddie Van Halen, you think of guitar solos. You don't think of like riffs. So what are the riffs to Van Halen? Oh yeah. Panama. Um, I mean, the rhythm, the rhythms that Eddie did were were amazing. Like, like. No, know. I'm thinking of that one. Um, what's the first song on the first album? Yeah, they did have a rhythm to it. Yeah, and remember, in the early days, he had that giant World War II bomb on the side of the stage on the on stage left that he went over to, and he had a couple of echoplexes in it, and it was a giant taller than him. World War II bomb that he had cut out and put in these echoplexes, and you'd go over and mess with this thing, and it, that disappeared after a while. I'm sure he had a tech doing that for him after a while, but for the early days, he had that bomb, and that was amazing. I saw the jump thing, though, so I didn't tell the thing. So, so this is a great David Lee Ross story. So they rent this this like movie stage off Santa Monica and Highlands, but the old Zoetrope Studios, right? Right, yeah. right, I, you know that place. So they were they and they were rehearsing for the night in 1984 tour. And so we went. It's like you know, like 500, you know, people from around Hollywood. I went with Brendan Mullen and Anthony and Flea, and we're watching Van Halen on because they built their whole big stages inside the sound studio, and then people are going to watch it and whatever. And David Lee Roth, at a certain point in the show, he sits down on the stage and he goes, you know, this is the part of the show where I. I um I I asked one of the crew like what town are we in because I never know and I give this heartfelt speech right here about how we've played in Europe and we've played and he names all the places Van Halen has played we played in Moscow and we played at Madison Square Garden but there's no better audience in the world that we've ever played for than and you say the name of the town right and he's explaining to us what he does at this part in the show, right? Right. And he goes, but we, David Lee Roth, and then he stands up and he goes, but we all know, everyone in this room, that the greatest audience and the greatest people to play for are right here in our hometown of Hollywood, California. And I swear to God, we all went, yay! (laughs) 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 Because he was so positive. You know what I mean? He tricked us. He's, he's always got a like a twinkle in his eye, David Lee Roth. An amazing yeah. man. Yeah. I mean, me and Anthony and Flea were like clapping, like, yes, Hollywood, our hometown. <laughs> and he did, he did to us what he was going to do to every city Van Halen played the 1984 tour on. He made us feel with him and a part of and important and, and, 
And that's, that's the gift that music is, that we're all listening and playing and being together. Yeah, he was certainly and, he 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 was one of those that would play to ten people, and it looked and it looked like he was playing to ten thousand. <laughs> he was he was something else. Yeah. So, R.I.P. Eddie Van Halen. It's just kind of hard to believe. Yeah, I know. Sixty-five years old. Every it's time so somebody young. dies, I I just yeah, I go, God, am I going to die when I'm sixty-five? That's always my first reaction to every oh, death. Man. When it's when it's like eighty eight, I go good. Oh God, I hope I make it to eighty eight. But when it's sixty five and I'm closing in on sixty, that's a little too close for comfort. Yeah, it's scary. So, anyways, I just wanted to touch base with you and and everybody. And uh, that's great, man. And uh, Chuck, hope Chuck is in pe- Wisconsin. Say safe. Yeah. Like yeah, uh, scary Wisconsin, time. I guess, scary is time. The ground zero. It's really sad. Um, Chuck. Um, Chuck is in Petaluma. I don't know what he's doing. Petaluma? Yeah. He's got an RV? Has he got an RV? I don't know. Maybe. No, he's at, <laughs> <laughs> he's at a wavelengths in, a, in in Petaluma. He's doing something. I don't know, but he couldn't join us. But uh, All right. Well, next week. He'll be back we'll next him. week. Yep. And uh, just everybody stay safe and try to stay focused and don't give in to like depression. Yeah, or, don't get hopeless and use drugs, man. I mean, just hang in there. It'll get It'll get better, right? it's it's got to get better like how much darker can it get right like leonard cohen had that song you want it darker like this is about as dark as i ever remember things right right well let's sign off man and say uh there's gotta be light at the end of the tunnel there's just gotta be yeah i love you bob right i love you i'll talk to you guys later okay we'll talk monday okay bye-bye bye Hey, this is Bob and the Don't Die Podcast. Got 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses, and it's got to stop. Aloe Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live. But first and foremost, don't die.